Welcome, everybody, to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting, uh, hockey's coming up, lots of stuff going on. It's a, it's a great month to be a sports fan specifically, uh, to, to follow Michigan sports. So we're hoping to bring you lots of great audio coverage all month in our weekly podcast. We're moving along. I think this is episode 14. Hopefully you have enjoyed it so far. We've got a good show today. Michigan State uh, didn't get a ton of questions. That might be my bad because I posted the questions later, but tons of topics to talk about. No shortage of things to discuss in this rivalry week. Uh, also, lots of recruiting news. We, we haven't had too much recruiting news, but there should be much more uh, on this podcast than in previous ones. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Joining me on the phone, Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull. And guys, we didn't get an off-topic question this week, and we don't we don't necessarily need to. There's enough going on without it, but we did get one that's kind of isolated from the rest from Dylan Zilkowski, a relatively new poster on our board, asks, if you could have one player from the NFL that went to any college previously to come and play at Michigan right now, who would it be outside of the quarterback position? By the way, if you want to ask questions, just hop on our board. We post a thread seeking podcast questions uh, about a day before we record. Michigan.247sports.com. You can also find all of our stories and much more of our insight there than we can provide in just one podcast. We've got tons of stories every day. But guys, going to this NFL question, uh, not quarterback, so you kind of look at the other positions Michigan needs, maybe maybe a right tackle, uh, maybe you know probably probably going to be almost exclusively in on offense uh, on, in the running game and the offensive line. But who stands out to you, Isaiah? We'll let you go first as a player Michigan could really use right now. See, I'm really terrible at this because I just really started kind of getting back into watching the NFL this season, so I don't really have. I had several years where I was working on Sundays all through the day, so I didn't really get to see much of the NFL the last several years. So I really don't have a very good answer for that. Uh, obviously, I'd probably take whoever the best right tackle <laughs> would be, uh, or you know, something in that in that regard. But otherwise, based off of pure talent, I don't. It wouldn't really help right now. But like a guy like J.J. Watt or uh, Clay Matthews would be someone that I oh, obviously I think he would add. still help your team putting him on. It'll, yeah, it would just. But you're right. The marginal, the marginal benefit might not be there. Uh, Steve, yeah, I, what about you, man? Probably Joe Thomas. I don't care if he's a right or a left tackle, just the best offensive lineman out there. And uh, you could you could do whatever you needed with Mason Cole uh, after that. So probably Joe Thomas. You know, the other one that I kind of think of, though, I know people probably won't like this. but uh, uh, I think I was going to say it, too. Yeah, go ahead. Zeke Elliott yep. probably would probably be one. Um, heck, man, like Kareem Hunt, even though is you know, young – talented back at Kansas city is having a great start to the year too. So yeah, I think, I think, you know, receiver would be another spot to look at too, obviously, but offensive line is probably where I go. So I'd say Joe Thomas probably. Yeah. I I like to fan the flames. I was going to say Ezekiel Elliott, Uh, maybe even Carlos Hyde. I think he's once again, top five in rushing yards, Uh, obviously, you know, rushing yards in the NFL isn't the only way to measure a good running back. But I think, I think if they had someone like, like Zeke, who's just, I mean, he has a great offensive line in Dallas. He had a great offensive line, well, a solid offensive line at Ohio State. But I think even even if he didn't necessarily have that t- that much time, I think he is just an absolute playmaker, game-changing running back. Um, 
I'm sure if they asked us this question next year, I'd be saying Saquon Barkley. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, there's really only two greatest, positions where the benefit is there. in the world. You know? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, you're fine. High, greatest, high X, greatest, greatest player in the world. Would that apparently. be who you guys would pick up I if agree. you could pick up someone in college? Absolutely. I don't, know. I don't necessarily think it's that. I don't think the gap is that large. I'm kidding, by the way. I don't agree with that assessment oh, at all. But you, uh, I, I could not tell. I, I really couldn't tell. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm half kidding. He's a good. He's going to be a really really great player. But I gave Wolfong a little bit of guff for that one. Uh, There's like I gotcha. a laundry list of defensive players and offensive linemen that I would take in the NFL before I would take Saquon Barkley, who. You know, has had a great year, but I mean, let's hold the hold the mustard or however. You okay. Would, like, let's slow it down a little bit there. So. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting question. I I, I know like there's always that one that's like, who would you trade for? Uh, it's so. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I I think I'd take Zeke. Uh. So. <laughs> then Joe Thomas, and then I'd say you said whoever the best right tackle is. I Just... mean, yeah, something like that. I don't know, Jay. I like. I kind of like the J.J. Watt one, even though I yeah. know he's been injured and everything. You know, so. well, and someone like that I, with that much speed and that much strength, like he would just bully through. I mean, it would be like better than anything at Oliver or whatever. You know, oh well. Make continue to make the defense stronger. I know. I know that sounds ridiculous since they have the number one defense right now overall. Anyway, <laughs> but it add to the position of strength. Have that in the rotation. Why not? Well, speaking of offensive linemen, we got a question from Azul 97 Says, have you heard anything about the developments of the O-linemen who are likely red shirts who haven't gotten much playing time? Stuber, Honigferg, Filiaga, Hall, and Hudson. Uh, which of the five do you think are most likely to compete for a starting job next year? And, you know, we got Greg Fry this week, uh, but generally not too much talk, uh, you know, on the guys that are, that are redshirting. We know Harbaugh likes to redshirt offensive linemen when he can. Sometimes he can't or sometimes he doesn't. But, uh, Steve, I know you covered these guys on, on the recruiting trail. And, Isaiah, if you you want to jump in, too, you're welcome to. Uh, but who, who of that group uh, should we be keeping an eye on as a potential starter for next year? Uh, I go with with Stuber, obviously, big Stuber guy over here, and then uh, but Filiaga too. I mean that's about eighty percent based off of fall camp when those are the two guys I think that were uh, most mentioned. I know we had heard a lot of great things about Filiaga specifically uh, practicing at guard. Uh, I can't. I believe it was. I believe it was left guard actually playing behind Bredesen, um, Honigford and Hudson seem more like the after Hudson's with Hudson switching over. I think he turns into a developmental guy. If they keep him at on the offensive line, Honingford's got to gain some weight. Hall's kind of the mystery. Uh, I think he had, you know, I know he had a pretty good spring camp. I think he was a little banged up, but uh, kind of the mystery still uh, the guy I think could be turned into a really productive player, but it's just haven't heard a ton on him. So, uh, you know, and Stuber's been dressed, I think for at least two, two games I want to say, or maybe okay. more, but um, you know, obviously didn't, I, he may have even gotten a snap against Florida actually, now that I think about it, but um, yeah, I would say Stuber and Filiaga, you know, which is probably the same answer. It would have been 
on signing day, to be honest with you, from yeah. my standpoint anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't know too much about Stuber, but man, Filiaga just, I, he just looks really good. Isaiah, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything else uh, about any of these guys or any of the other offensive linemen? Maybe not so much for this season, but but for further down the road, as far as guys maybe coming in better than expected or or rebounding from from you know some early growing pains. Uh, well, I've I've heard you know that they they've really liked what Draymond Hall's been able to do. Obviously, he's obviously he's got to you know continue progressing, but it's uh, they've really liked what he's been able you know that. He's kind of a project, obviously, but they really like what he's been able to do. He looks noticeably bigger than when he reported, so it's just a, it's going to be you know a couple years before I think you start seeing him really get in the mix. But uh, he's a guy that kind of went forgotten about in early, you know, the earliest uh, offensive line commit in the class, and and you know it, he saw his rating fall a little bit, just kind of went under the radar. But they they really like what they have in him. He's just got to continue to progress before. It gets to be anything, but like Steve said, I mean, he pretty much summed the whole thing up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so those are the names to keep an eye on. Vias, uh, he Vias also had a question, and we can shift uh, at least a little bit toward recruiting. Now, uh, he says, looking back at Harbaugh's recruiting at Stanford, he never recruited an offensive lineman higher than a three-star. DeCastro was the highest. David DeCastro, uh, mid three hundreds in in our composite. Do you think that offensive line is the position that's most difficult for recruiting experts to forecast from high school to college as far as production and whatnot? Uh, if not, what position is? I guess my two cents, you know, if you want to prove Vias Azul's point, look at Wisconsin. They don't recruit highly ranked offensive linemen at all, or hardly at all, and they end up with, you know, guys that are NFL bound, you know, first three round picks. Indiana did something similar with Greg Fry. Uh, so it's really, I mean, if you have size and can develop, I think the technique can be, or the technique is not as crucial as, as you know, it might be in high school. If you can, you know, give it a couple of years and actually produce. Uh, but Steve, you've been covering offensive linemen recruit. We've seen Michigan have some that did not pan out. We've seen other schools have some that did not pan out. We've seen the reverse where guys, you know, like your Graham Glasgow's come out of nowhere and are dominant is is it the hardest pr- position to predict yeah i think so i think uh the three that come to mind are, are actually all offensively um our quarterback offensive line and tight end uh i think tight end is kind of a quiet one though a, a one that uh, it's not so much that the guys who are highly ranked don't pan out to an extent it's more that some of the best that end up coming through the college ranks are guys who were either not ranked or maybe even been recruited at a different position. So, um, but I, yeah, I mean, I want to say the numbers bear it out. I feel like either Barton or somebody in 24 seven did a something on, on this type of subject. And I, I think it is offensive line, just so many possibilities. Uh, a lot of you look at, think about like uh, Eric Fisher, who is, at Central Michigan, became the number one pick in the draft. You know, he was recruited as a tight end. So it's like, you know, and and Fry, yeah, you talked about Greg Fry. He's kind of done that a lot as a guy that's recruited under somewhat undersized guys and built them up. And, uh, you know, and, and yeah, I think it's about 
some of, yeah, like you, you talk about Wisconsin. I think Iowa's kind of in there too, as the types of schools that have some kind of knack for knowing or having a sense of like whether or not a guy is close to his ceiling or, you know, what a guy's ceiling actually is, you know, because those two schools in particular have always done a great job yet. Like you said, of finding guys that aren't necessarily highly ranked and, and turning them into, uh, you know, excellent players. I mean, yeah, I mean, Wisconsin's got to be the best example, though. Like you said, there's a laundry list of guys that have gone through there. Like, I don't know what Joe Thomas was ranked. You know, we talked about Joe Thomas already. I don't know what he was oh, ranked yeah. in high school. But, uh, you know, it's obvious that Wisconsin saw something there. That You know, it's like if you, you see how good Joe Thomas is now, obviously, you know, some schools didn't do all their homework, you know, if that, that guy had that potential. So, right. you know, right. they've done a really good job of, of doing that. So, so what's I think it's the, an interesting topic. What's the easiest prediction or position to predict, or I guess maybe maybe not predict, but what's the most accurate one where the recruiting rankings end up coming through for the most? Would that be defensive line? Do you think? I think I was gonna say I think defensive end, defensive line, uh, defensive maybe well maybe even tackle though. Actually, look at look at the la- even just the last few cycles. Uh, Dexter Lawrence at yep. Clemson, uh, at Oliver who. Yep. You know, the the adage about, well, if a guy doesn't go to a big school, then they're going to lower his ranking. Well, Ed Oliver's ranking never changed after he committed and signed with Houston, and now he may be the best defensive player in football. He probably um, is, yeah. Yeah, right. So uh, I think defense, I think the interior of the defensive line and, and most of the defensive line in general, sometimes you'll see misses on the undersized, like speed rush end types. Uh, you know, every once in a while you'll see a miss on a guy that was pretty highly ranked there. But for the most part, interior, you know, I think Aubrey Solomon will eventually be in that mix. Rashawn Gary, you know, I know Gary's playing a little bit more on the outside, but still kind of that same idea as mm-hmm. um, a can't-miss guy that's, you know, hey, it's the other thing too, at least our rankings are relative to where a guy ends up in the NFL draft. So Oh, that's yeah. Well, you know, sometimes they go hand-in-hand though. Like right. Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney. Uh, I, I think I did a story on this over the summer, actually, where I looked at five-star defensive linemen and how they did, and it was like an 80% clip. I don't know. Any any idea why that's the case? Is it like a more of a simple athletic-based position? or? I think so. I think there are more just like, well, like Miles Garrett is the best example as a guy who I want to say it was Brian Peroni at our A&M affiliate or 24-7 ranked Miles Garrett number one in the country like well before – anybody else did because they went and saw him at his high school. I think it was like in between junior and senior year. And I guess he had just made some, he was, he already had like a lot of elite athletic traits. I mean, he was already ranked high, not like he wasn't already noticeable or whatever, but I think there are more just like freaks at that position and guys that I think the, the combination of size, strength and speed is easier to discern at the top of the chain uh, because you look at like wide receivers, a position too, where there's some misses. It's like, there are a lot of really, really great athletes that play wide receiver, but it's a, a position where there are a lot of nuances and, and a lot of technique and a lot of things you have to learn a lot. You know, a lot of times at defensive end, if you're just bigger and faster than the guy across from you, you're going to have, you know, some level of success. So, uh, I, I look at Garrett specifically as and Gary too though I mean like the same thing is like he's just 
he ran like I can't remember what the numbers were, but he ran some insane like 100 yard dash at Ohio State when he was like a freshman or something. It was like one of the it was like the best time there, and he was like only a freshman in high school. Like that's kind of what put him on the radar. Um, you know, these these guys are just built differently at those positions, and uh, you know, I think there's a bigger gap a lot of times in in the athleticism from the top top of the chain there to the maybe the bottom or the middle. Yeah, I. I would tend to agree. Uh, anyway, there is, you know, as far as recruiting, Michigan, we talk about a couple of good recruits Michigan's had, and they're putting together the 2018 class, and we had talked about how this weekend was going to be a, a very big visit weekend uh, for Michigan. You know, they, they're they going to have a smaller class in 2018, but they, they want it to be, you know, full of guys who can contribute right away. Uh, not necessarily not on their way to doing that, but Steve, you were telling me before the show, the visit weekend is not not quite going maybe how you expected it to. Uh, they aren't quite bringing everybody to the table in the same manner that they had hoped. Uh, I guess fill fill us in on on you know, maybe you don't necessarily need to laundry list it, but you know roughly what we're seeing from this weekend and what some of the key storylines are. Yeah, so, I mean, it was reported over, I guess we reported over 24 hours ago, so it doesn't really matter now. Uh, you know, three California official visitors in, in Amon Ross St. Brown, Brian Addison, Julius Irvin, none of them are coming with anybody. They're all coming on their own, which is, ter- like, awful news if you're Michigan, if you're the staff. Um, it's hard enough to get a kid out from California, let alone reel one in. And to not have any parents or family coming with any of these three guys, in my opinion, again, there's always the possibility that they impress to the point where the kid wants to come back. Like I know the St. Brown family, I don't think money would be an issue if they wanted to come back out there uh, before the signing day, but it, it would take something mighty drastic, uh, particularly with St. Brown's a guy, I think I've written a thousand times now. I know his family really, really well. Uh, never got the impression they were that high in Michigan. I know, I mean, this is back when Osiris was first being recruited, that they they came, they used to come up for Sound Mind, Sound Body every year. And I remember this, I think this was before Harbaugh. It was right, maybe right around the, it must have been the last summer of Hoke, um, who, again, the Hoke staff was very good at recruiting. Like, they were very good recruiters, very personable. But they, his dad and the family seemed to actually prefer both Michigan State and Notre Dame over Michigan. And, uh, you know, I kind of kept that in mind as Michigan's continued to really try to push to get St. Brown on campus throughout the process. So, yeah, those are all like uphill battles all of a sudden. Again, Addison's a guy I think for a while I think Michigan had a decent shot with, but he's a Sarah kid. They all go to SC. SC gets whoever they want from whoever they want from Sarah. Um, if they decide to push for him, which it sounds like they're going to start or they are, uh, it's going to be hard to beat. You know, even okay. when SC is down, they get everyone from Sarah. So, besides that, I think the biggest thing is a lot of in-state prospects coming in from the 18, 19, and 20 class. I saw that Marquan McCall is going to be in town. I'm not really sure what's going on there right now. Uh, you know, he's the, I think he's the number one player on the composite in state. Michigan kind of cooled off their recruitment of him for 
non-football reasons. Uh, months ago, he committed to Kentucky. He'll be on campus. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Devontae Dobbs, <laughs> anyway. Um, next next prospect. Uh, Marvin Grant, Rayshon Williams from King will be up there. Jaron Mangum from Cass Tech. So uh, Enzo Jennings from, from Oak Park and Justin Rogers. I mean, they really kind of bring in a lot of the best prospects in all three classes up in state. That's kind of the stuff I'm most interested to see. Uh, Logan Brown too, out of East Kentwood. Not sure on Mozzie Smith yet, but uh, that's kind of the biggest thing I'm keeping an eye on now is uh, some progress of the in-state guys. Do they move in and offer any of these guys that I don't have offers yet or not? So it'll be an interesting weekend. Again, not as they're obviously backloading for Ohio State. I mean, you look at their target list on our site. You got Sandage Friday. Uh, Thompson, uh, Job or Joby, I don't even know how you pronounce it. Uh, none of these guys are officialing this weekend. It probably means that the Ohio State official visitor list is going to be crazy. So uh, there's that to keep in mind, and uh, maybe more of an in-state focus on this this weekend. Okay. The in-state okay. I want to I want to hear this from both you guys, just because I don't pay much attention to to football recruiting, but. I have noticed that there's been chatter, and we know, I, I mean, we probably complain about the chatter more than we actually read the chatter, but, you know, about people being worried that this class isn't going to live up to the hype and that maybe they're, you know, they're banking a little too much on that Ohio State weekend and, uh, you know, they're missing on some targets that they weren't expecting to miss. I'm not, I actually don't know where you guys stand. Isaiah, you haven't talked in a while, so we're definitely going to let you go first. Uh, is is there a valid sense of worry uh, with recruiting so far, or is it is this just going to be something where you you have to wait until November or December to really say anything? I mean, no, <laughs> I don't think there's really any real reason to worry. Because uh, I mean, the the thing is, is they've got the core of guys. Yeah, there's some guys that are looking elsewhere and may end up elsewhere, but they have the core that that really fills a class like this up at this point. And then they're in on a bunch of higher ranked guys that aren't going to decide until later anyway. So for all the concern, it's kind of like, well, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Michigan just go out and get all, you know, anyone that's willing to commit early to do so, or actually play the game the way it's always played and pull in the, you know, the big fish, you know, come the Army All-American game times, National Signing Day. It's it's way too early to panic. And, they, yeah, they're selling out for these, these two big weekends. I mean, Michigan only had five home games. They didn't want to have a bunch of people in for Cincinnati. I think that was a good call. The crowd was pretty yeah. tame. <laughs> uh, Air Force is a little bit better. like, But this game is going to be really, really, really hype, I'd imagine. Ohio State should be just as, obviously, because it's Ohio State. And... So it makes sense that they would kind of work to develop. That's something that they've always kind of did back when Tyrone Wheatley was uh, was with the staff. That was something that he always told uh, told me when we when we were able to get him, get him one on one through everything was just that he really they they really want to be able to develop people like develop relationships and that you know that goes for team that goes for everything. They want to be able to long-term develop relationships. They don't want to just say, we like you. Here's, you know, here's everything that's really flashy. Come, you know, come with us because they feel like that doesn't really sell Michigan the way that they, that it should be sold. So 
I I don't really understand the concern. They've got a bunch of <laughs> I really, didn't expect really you to understand right it. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. Fair enough. Yeah, it's it's really. I mean, it's the it's the people that you know are are already panicking about you know Harbaugh not being able to build an offensive it, line or something. It's it's and, it's you know there's there's a lot of stargazers too. I mean, yeah. how how many people like I, I remember the meltdown that happened when Sammy Faustin committed. And he's really not much different than Josh Metellus, but of course, like as far as like rate, you know, ranking and you know, kind kind of some similar area. It's a little bit different, up, you know, over in the uh, on the west side of Florida. But it when Josh Metellus committed, he was a two star. He was the third out of the three that people even wanted. People were excited about Devin Gill committing more so at the time, and obviously everyone wanted Devin Bush, but. You don't hear people complaining now that he's a starter. So it, it, there is. I'm not saying it, you always have to trust the coaches, but sometimes you do. Look at Luke, uh, Luke Shoem, uh, Shoemaker. You know, like yeah. he's he's starting to see his star rise, and sh- you know, very similar to Sean McCune. And right now, people aren't complaining about Sean McCune. Steve, I, I I think Isaiah covered a lot of it. I mean, I I know where you stand roughly on this. Uh, any anything to add? Yeah. I mean, you if you're judging a recruiting class before the players have actually signed, then you might as well just go bang your head against the wall. Like that's really what it comes down to. So, um the staff has earned the leeway to have taken verbals from the prospects they have taken verbals from based on the development of other underranked prospects that have already been mentioned. There's what, four months until National Signing Day, and the chips really are still just kind of getting into place for a final push. And, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a you know, the star stuff, I mean, we play, like, us as a site, I mean, we're part of that, so I can't, I'm not going to, um, it's hard to criticize people like that get into that stuff because we kind of play it up when we're reporting, you know, hey, a top 100 guy's coming into town. Yeah. Uh, what I try to do is make it clear as I can based on what I know, as far as, you know, like Shoemaker, a great example of a guy that Michigan doesn't care what this guy's ranked. They saw him live. They loved his abilities. They didn't hesitate and they took him. And I try to make that as clear as I can to try to illustrate like, Hey, yeah, the stars are out there. Yeah. You know, but these guys have developed, how many tight ends has Harbaugh developed in the NFL players, you know? So uh, I try to kind of walk the balance there because there's obviously like, well, like we talked about, you know, defensive tackles kind of a can't miss, not can't miss, but a, uh, has a high hit rate for elite guys. And Michigan's still in on three top 150 guys four if you count Alan McNeil, I guess, but not really thinking much is going to happen there still. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's the same song and dance every year. I mean, they recruited a top five class in 2017. They're off to a great class, a really great class in 2019. Yeah. People worry about what's going on. Like now all of a sudden it's people freak out about 2018. I just, sometimes <laughs> I just think people need something to worry about or something. Cause, uh, you know, there's just a long ways to go. I know it's four months. Isn't that long when a lot of these kids have been recruited for like two years at this point, but a lot of a lot of dust to settle still a lot of visits to host a lot of you know games to be won or lost so okay i think i'm okay with the class they've they've gotten so far okay so 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I read some of the comments, and it's it's the same panicked people. They're actually the same people transitioning to our next segment. They're the ones who wanted uh, John John Beeline fired and said he can't recruit and he can't do this and do that. I uh, don't know if they're saying that anymore. Not you know they they won the Big Ten tournament. They went to the Sweet 16. They were shot away from the Elite Eight. And now they closed out this week. If you haven't read it, check it out at 247sports.com. Closed out the, well, now it's number three. But a, a top five, top ten caliber recruiting class. It is the best recruiting class Michigan has had since 2012. Uh, those two are the only ones since 2000 that have been this good. And... Steve, you're welcome to jump in if, if you have any thoughts. But just to, to wrap it, recap the week for Michigan fans. Adrian Nunez uh, was offered Sunday morning, committed Monday evening. Uh, he's a three-star kid. He's ranked around 260. And he's the lowest-ranked recruit out of these five. And, you know, he, I think the joke is that it wouldn't be a John Beeline recruiting class if there wasn't some guy you've never heard of that you had to, like, do a lot of extra digging to find out any info about him. Uh, he's that guy. You know, not a ton of film, not a ton of live game film, actually. A lot more camp film. Uh, you can take that for what you will. But we've seen this story before. Michigan goes after a guy ranked outside the top 250. Just to rattle off the names, Stu Douglas, Zach Novak, Spike Albrecht, Jordan Morgan. Who am I missing? Aubrey Dawkins, Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman. And they're guys that they believe they can develop. And for the most part, I mean, those seven, there are some misses. But for the most part, I mean, those guys did that. I mean, I, I believe all of them either have or will be a key contributor. Uh, and so, so you, you, you probably should trust Beeline a little bit. Uh, I've looked at Adrian's film. It's hard to... Is that you? Yeah, no, I was like laughing because of course you should trust John Beeline. I just thought that was, that was funny. Sorry. Oh, all right, fair enough. You're right on. You're oh, right yeah. on. No, yeah, yeah. I, I thought I thought you were like mocking my analysis. I was like, hey, Not hey, at all. No. Uh, no. Um, but I I've seen his film and, and you know he's he's a three point shooting guy, rail thin. I mean he's six five, hundred and seventy five pounds. Uh, so you can probably add about twenty five pounds to his frame without it, you know, impacting who he is as a person. Uh, so it's, I think Michigan sees a lot to be made there. Uh, when I say trust him a little bit, I'm talking Adrian Nunez. I mean, he's ranked, he was unheralded for a reason. He's not, you know, it's not like he's in film and he looks like a top 100 guy. I mean, he is someone that will take time. You know, he probably needs a year or two. Um, he's he. I don't think anyone is denying that he was a backup option behind, you know, some of the other shooting guards or, or players at that position. Jerome Hunter, Noah Locke, Robbie Carmody, uh, some of the other guys. I mean, they, they would have preferred those players. Uh, but when you have a recruiting class, it's a top five class. Playing time is an issue, especially if you had a pretty good class in 2017, as Michigan did. So so I think I think there's definitely an opportunity for him. You know, if you can shoot the three and you have nice athleticism and you're you have uh, a frame that you can develop muscle on. Uh, Michigan just needs to point into the NBA to to show you what what you can become. I mean, Karis LeVert, uh, trying to trying to you know DJ Wilson. You know, if you can shoot the three and you have a work ethic, uh, there's room for you. 
And the rest of the class, I don't think I really, I don't think there needs to be too much convincing. Uh, you know, Nunez brings nice length at 6'5 for the two position, but the rest of the guys are even better. I mean, uh, Ignis Brisdikas, we've talked about him on this podcast. You know, 6'8, but plays like he's 6'2, but also rebounds like he's 6'10. Uh, he's going to be something something else at the wing, and they, they bumped him up into the top 50 in the composite rankings, and there's a reason uh, for that sort of excitement. I mean, he's he's that kind of guy. He's a he's a class headliner. I think you can put Brandon Johns in that category too. I mean, he his recruitment was pretty quiet, and you know, then he committed to Michigan, and then it was pretty quiet since. You know, he's not dropping a ton of highlight videos. He's not, you know, out there touting himself or, or doing you know tons of camps or showcases. I think he's just ready to work. Uh, you know, we've we've also talked about DeJulius, how we think he's probably in that 100 area. He's ranked 138 in our, our composite, but uh, I think he's going to be really good. And Steve, you and I both agree with this. The fact that Beeline was so quick uh, to to offer him and to take his recruitment back in November when he had tons of time and there were tons of options at uh, you know point guard that he could have looked at, I think that tells you that Beeline knows exactly what he wants and David DeJulius is exactly what he wants, at least for this class. And then Colin Castleton, the other news item this week, if you missed it, Florida center, uh, really more of a power forward for now, but he'll be a center in college, uh, 6'10". I really liked his film. I I think, it, you know, he had a ton of film too, but he, he, you know, he gets compared a lot to Mo Wagner. I think Michigan even did that comparison when they pitched uh, Michigan to him. They had Mo host him. They, you know, talked about how he'd fill that role. Uh, but when I watch film, he almost looks more like DJ Wilson because he can he can block shots. Uh, he's really really lanky, uh, but he's got a great vertical game, which is you know he can play above the rim. Uh, he's got nice leap. You know he's got a little bit of bounce to him. He can shoot the three, and he's another guy. I mean, he's six six ten, two hundred and fifteen pounds. So it's just like Mo and DJ. You know you walk in, you've got probably twenty pounds to go before you're. Uh, a regular Big Ten contributor, but it seems like uh, you know Michigan did did the right thing here. They pitched it to him and said, "You are our number one center target. We think you can fit this role of these two guys that we've will have sent to the NBA by the time you get here." And he he totally bought in, canceled his other visits, dropped a lot of other schools, and it was it was just a lot of and this was like in a span of a week that he did all this or maybe even two days. And so, so I think Michigan's really excited to have him. I think it's a really complete class, five players, five positions. It uh, doesn't have the star power that 2012 did. You know, they had Mitch McGarry and Glenn Robinson who were looking like future NBA players, you know, coming out of high school. All of these guys need work, but I don't think Michigan is, <laughs> I don't think Michigan is a school that, that needs to worry about, you know, needing to develop players. I think they've, Shown that it's going to be, it's more of a when, not an if, as far as players developing into into their potential. So pretty good class, I'd say. Anyway, uh, we can head over to Michigan, Michigan State football. We've made you wait long enough. Should be a a very very uh, fun event night game. Isaiah and I will be there. Steve will be helping provide stories uh, along the way. But one topic that I it's kind of 
come up both in press conferences and also a little bit before the show is that people are not as hype and excited as I expected. I don't know where you guys stand on that, but you know, this is this for some reason, and perhaps it's both schools trying to kind of downplay things. Has the rivalry been less heated than, than we think? I, Isaiah, we can, we can let you go first. I mean, I think there is a degree to which it it is. Uh, you know, it never it never got more heated than it did once Michigan State started winning. Uh, obviously, so you know that's uh, it, once actually just basically once Mark D'Antonio came, uh, you know, into the fold. I I remember being a student there in 2007, and uh, and you know remember seeing the smirk on the sidelines when you know because he had predicted Michigan State was going to win the game, and and they went up 21 to seven, and that I remember that drew the ire of all of my classmates uh, that moment. So I mean it's been heated ever since then, but I, I feel like there's a feeling now in Ann Arbor specifically that you know since Harbaugh came over. They really should have won the 2015 game. It took a, obviously a very fluky play to to give that one away, and then they manhandled them last year. So I think that there's just kind of a calm here, especially considering Michigan State went three and nine uh, last year. I think there's kind of a not to steal D'Antonio's term, but kind of a where's the threat? And I, I do think Michigan State poses a much bigger threat than people are willing to give them credit for currently. That's not the foregone conclusion that I think a lot of, uh, a lot of Michigan fans want to think this is going into Saturday, but I think that has a lot to do with it. I, I, I don't think that there are many, if any Michigan fans out there, honestly, that think that Michigan's going to lose this game. And I, that's probably the majority of it. Yeah. I think I think fans are a little, I think it reminds I guess I was proven wrong against Florida. I thought Florida was going to be a, a little bit tougher of a game for Michigan. I, fans certainly didn't, and then uh, turns out I was wrong. Uh, Steve, I guess talking about, I mean, you can talk about you know your thoughts on on if this rivalry is up or down in excitement. Uh, but one intriguing question I've I've seen tossed around is like, what happens if you know we? I don't think any of us are predicting Michigan is going to lose. But what happens if it does happen? I mean, Harbaugh gets some heat for being 0-2 against Ohio State, and I know people look at the at the rivalries and records. But like, I mean, I guess is this in looking a little bit at Michigan State too as as a team? I mean, how important is this game for for Jim Harbaugh to win? Obviously, he needs to win. Uh, you know, as far as the as Michigan keeping its goals in line, but. I mean, is this is this kind of looking like a Michigan Michigan State team or Michigan State team of old, or is this or do you think that this is actually going to be a little bit different, where Michigan could run the table, run the table as in win all their games this season? No, I'm more in like a blowout, like like Michigan oh, State. I don't right. think it's a three and nine team. I guess I was wondering where you stood on that. Uh, I'm in the middle. You know, I saw that Michigan State outgained Notre Dame, but I think like two thirds of those yards were gained after Notre Dame was up thirty-eight to ten or whatever it was that where whenever they blew it wide open. Um, 
I don't really know where things are at right now. It's always extra intense. Uh, you know, I think I was reading that Michigan State has covered against Michigan nine straight years. If that's not a testament to how important this game is to them and how laser-focused they seem to be when this game comes around, and, and I don't really know what is. Uh, it's for that reason, you know, that Michigan's got to be prepared, you know, more than they would be for a normal game. I know that's a really simple cliche statement, but uh, I think the intensity is still there. I don't know. I mean, it's just there's really no bulletin board type stuff this week. Both sides right. are pretty quiet. Uh, that always keeps things at a minimum, I feel like. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know. Uh, I think Michigan State's kind of in a weird spot just in general with their program. I thought the win against Iowa was impressive and potentially pretty important for them. I don't think it was a game many gave them a shot to win, especially when, you know, really Iowa should have beaten Penn State the weekend before. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, as far as it being important for Harbaugh, I just don't know if we're there yet with that stuff. Uh, it's, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, it's important, I guess. Yeah, like you said, as far as the the big goals. Right, you can't lose Michigan, games, but yeah. Obviously, yeah. Like if I guess the simple way to say it would be this: if Michigan was to happen to lose on Saturday, it's it's a to me, it's a clear indication, and it should be to anybody a clear indication that they were never going to win the Big Ten championship to begin with. Because this this you know Michigan State does look obviously looks a lot looks a lot better than they did last year at least early on, uh, but you're these are the types of teams you have to beat at home to win a Big Ten championship. So you know in that regard. I guess it would be a. I guess it's just about where you think your expectations for Michigan are right now. I, you know, I just at this point we see what the offense is. I just don't think they're a Big Ten championship caliber team right now. Uh, so in that regard, I guess if State was to come in and up with the upset, I don't think it would be this like this huge blow to like Harbaugh in general or the program in general. In my opinion, okay, it, it's. It's more about fans just like melting down and not being able to brag at the water cooler on Monday and Tuesday. That's really the biggest loss for like your average fan in a game like this. As far as like, you know, what I mean, Michigan State beat Ohio State how many times? It hasn't hurt Ohio State's, you know, a couple of big wins in Ohio State, including a Big Ten championship game. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's probably. It, I think the answer is always in the middle. I think it's obviously an important game. You don't want to be a one and four against your two major rivals to begin your career, but from the from the micro sense, you know, to me, it would just answer the question of whether or not Michigan was a Big Ten championship caliber team to begin with. Yeah, well, I mean, I did the Big Ten power rankings, and obviously, anyone's welcome to agree or disagree with them. But I had Michigan State as the number five team in the Big Ten, so this is actually, I mean, this is kind of the the barometer of is Michigan going to be in that top 10 group, or are they going to be a step below this season? I will say, I mean, Mark D'Antonio's covered the spread, what, nine years in a row. So certainly could could expect something there. Let's let's try to combine things here, because I was going to ask, like, overall impressions of the team, uh, but we also have a lightning round to get to. So we're going to do the lightning round, and if you have anything to add, feel free to add a sentence or two justifying your pick. Isaiah... Uh, you can go first. One and a half passing touchdowns from John. By the way, these are from Vias Azul. He provides them every week. We helps helps us kind of break things down or what we think. 
Uh, one and a half passing touchdowns from John O'Corn. Isaiah, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with the under. I'm going to say I'm say he's going to get one uh, okay. this week. I think I think they'll get one on the ground as well, even though Michigan State hasn't been giving that up. No, they have not. Steve, seven and a half combined catches from the tight end position. They had nine against Purdue, uh, one against Air Force, Cincinnati, and Florida. I'm forgetting, but it's I think seven and a half would probably be around just a little bit above average. Under. Okay. And then no elaboration. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, that's tight ends are kind of like it's just who they target. I don't think I mean, state's got good linebackers, but you never know. Uh, 69 and a half yards from leading rusher. I assume that means Michigan's leading rusher. Either way, I, don't, I think it's under. I, I, I'm almost thinking this is going to be like a game where the two teams combine for 100 rushing yards because it's the number what the number one and number five run defense defenses in the country Michigan State held Iowa to 19 rushing yards and they have Akram Wadley and as we mentioned an offensive line that knows how to develop so all right Isaiah one and a half jet sweep plays uh you know figuring who Michigan State is as a defense and also where Michigan's at as an offense I'll go over I don't necessarily mean that's going to be how many times the player on the jet sweep has the ball but I think you'll see plenty of that try to draw the linebackers to the edge all right, Steve, 59 and a half receiving yards from Grant Perry. Oh man. Uh I'll say I'll say over barely okay. though. It's, do you think that's he's a good, That's the good one. Yeah, do you think he's the leading receiver in this game? Cuz it's been I don't know if they've had the leading receiver two weeks in a row. If they have, it's been really close. It's I'm an odds guy. I just feel like I think he is their most complete receiver, so I think that he would be the odds-on favorite to be the leading receiver in this game. I guess that's the way I would approach it. Okay. Uh, three and a half sacks by the defense. I I feel like Michigan State's offensive line is better than every one that they've faced. Michigan has faced so far except Florida. Um, but I, I, I also think Lewerke's going to be passing a lot. Uh, but he can also scramble. I'm going. I'm back and forth on this. I'll say over, uh, but but I am cognizant that Michigan is Michigan State's probably a little bit better at avoiding sacks, both as a line and as a quarterback, uh, than most teams. So might not be the might not be the big, you know, seven eight sacks in a game that that we've seen. Isaiah, oh, this is a fun one. Zero point five targeting calls. On the defense, so will there be a targeting called on Michigan? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with the over just because I think emotions and such will run high. Uh, would be surprised though if, if you don't see him come close, just because I'm sure they're preaching it. But I'll go with over. <laughs> I, I would assume that they're they've sat Devin Bush down and said a lot of things <laughs> like like settle down. Uh, we we saw that we heard that Monday in the press conference that they're they're trying to keep everyone a little bit calmer. So, Steve, two and a half sacks for Winovich and Gary combined. So I said they'd get over three and a half sacks. Uh, you think those two ends uh, find find their way to Lewerke enough? Yeah, I do. Okay. I think Michigan State's offensive line is solid, but I don't like. I don't think they're as good as Florida's offensive line was. And Michigan obliterated Florida up front in that game. So they did. They. I think they're probably comparable. I guess. I mean. You know, you you trade out Ivy for Brian Allen, and 
I don't know. Anyway, uh, one and a half interceptions for the defense. Well, Lewerke's only thrown two all season, so I'm going to go with the odds there and just say under. I do expect Michigan State to pass a lot. I think that they're probably going to have to, and I do think Michigan's a better interception team than what Michigan State has faced so far, but uh, just hard to predict two interceptions on a guy who's thrown two all season. Isaiah, seven and a half total points for uh, Mr. Quinn Nordine. I really wanted that interceptions question, by the way. Oh, we'll go uh, ahead and add your thoughts to it. <laughs> uh, only, only because watching, uh, he, he made good decisions, but they've, uh, I see, it seems that any, a lot of the clips I've seen Lewerke passing against uh, a lot of zone defenses, so I'm just kind of curious to see how it goes. Seven and a half points by Nordine, I'm going to go under. I think, uh, think Michigan finds ways to get it done in the red zone. And, okay. Uh, and, and beyond. Sure. And Steve, oh, uh, well, you got the miscellaneous ones, so your favorites. Yeah, whatever. Um, we'll do. I'll give you the uh, Sparty no. So one and a half Sparty no moments. I'm not <laughs> totally sure what that means. Uh, I assume it's like a like a silly moment, like they do something dumb. Um, I don't know. One and a half over or under. Under. They're usually so well prepared in these games, I feel like. I mean, even last year, I know Michigan was pretty much in control of that game from beginning from you know beginning to end, but uh, they just they were what was that what was I reading? Maybe it was Nick Baumgartner, something about beating D'Antonio is like uh it's like trying to kill a bat. <laughs> like that you just have to like stay after it. Like it's it's yeah, well, I think that's a, actually a really good analogy for the way Michigan State. Oh, I mean, you know, Michigan fans on Saturday, if Michigan's up by, let's say they're up by ten with like three or four minutes to go, that fans are still going to be walking on eggshells because they just assume that Michigan State will find a way, you know, to make it a game at the end. Like that's just, and they've earned that respect over the years because I feel like they always seem to play one of their best games of the year in this game. So I'm going to go under. Yeah. Oh, you got. I mean, you think you think all you have to do is punt the ball away. Uh, sorry, that's the fan, the fan, the flames here. Um, zero point five shots of D'Antonio on the sideline smiling. I don't know if I've ever seen him smile in a game. So I will say under. Um, I, I imagine that he's going to be pretty serious about this game. Uh, yeah. So let's do. Okay. So we'll do one bold prediction. One MVP and one score prediction to wrap things up. Oh, let's see. Let's have Isaiah start. Do you do you have a bold prediction ready? I can yeah, go I if do. you don't. Okay. All right. No, uh, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to go with Michigan gets one non-offensive touchdown. Uh, whether that be defensively, that kind of feeds into the whole. I, mean, I guess I could have saved that Lewerke comment uh, for this, but uh, whether that be that uh, he he tries to throw, you know make a throw into man coverage that he's not accustomed to and someone makes him pay for it or the the uh, Donovan Peoples Jones I don't think is going to get much of a chance so it, it to return the ball they have a really good punter uh so what where I'm looking though is does Michigan do something like roll the dice on kicks and put Donovan out there because their kicker is one of the worst in the country as far as uh, kicking off and getting it down to the feet, you know, down the field, and uh, there's only 11% touchback rate. So I could see 
some, you know, Michigan really drawing something up there. Uh, game ball, I'm going to give to Kalik Hudson. Uh, I feel like he's obviously going to be charged with spying Lewerke a lot, and I think he comes up with a big game. Uh, he's been involved almost as much as Devin Bush. He's just getting outshined by Devin Bush, and I think this is the game when we finally start to talk about what Kalik Hudson's done. Uh, final game score, too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I have Michigan winning 21-13. to 13. Okay. I, my, I won't say mine yet, but my score is very similar. Uh, Steve, bold prediction, MVP, and then a score prediction. I love the special team stats. So that was that was good to listen to. Special teams is awesome. Um, bold prediction. I think. Oh man, that's a tough one this week. Uh, I think John O'Corn. I think he has a positive performance, like a highly positive performance. I think he. Uh, I think he sort of had a baptism by fire against Purdue. I know Purdue's not Michigan State, but uh, Purdue's also not what Purdue used to be. Uh, and he did it on the road and kind of a weird, you know, and just kind of a, you know, here it is all of a sudden, you know, type thing. I think he has, a, I think he has what we would consider a highly positive game. Uh, my MVP, I think this is where Mo Hurst, I mean, he's already been one of the best defensive players in the country, in my opinion. The stats don't show it, but he's been such a force up front. I think the stats kind of make their way in this weekend. I think he has a huge game. Uh, I think he's really disruptive up front, causes a bunch of headaches for their running game. By the way, I mean, you know, Iowa's defense obviously always hard-nosed, but I, I think Michigan State's running backs had a total of, like, 38 yards rushing against Iowa. So It was um, it was 40 among their top three backs. I mean, they okay, had, yeah. I think their tight end lost five yards, which, like, set off the stats. But, yeah, they, Madre London, LJ Scott, Gerald Holmes had 40 yards on 24 carries. Yeah, so, I mean, man, it's hard not to think Michigan can't approach that. Um, I expect... The one thing I guess uh, this isn't have to do with the prediction or anything. The one thing you always got to watch out for in this game is states. They always had they always have such a well scripted drive to begin the game. Remember what they did last year? Uh, they marched right down the field yeah. and scored a touchdown to begin the game, and that was. <laughs> and you know it was scripted, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with that though. That's what that's what they. And with as hard as they practice for this game, it sounds like they have their beat Michigan rep. Uh, in the weight room. I don't know if we talked about that before. I've heard that yeah, somewhere. Yeah, it's the 11th rep. I think Chris Fry told me about that in the summer. Like they, it's That's like, right. Yeah. Yeah, like right. they do, they'll do 10 reps or something, and then they do a beat Michigan one at the end. Right. So they've probably already got their whole first set of play calls ready for Saturday. Uh, so Michigan's got to be on guard there. But uh, MVP-wise, yeah, Mo Hurst. Score-wise, I mean, I think it's going to be another one of these. I think Michigan. I think they do win. Uh, I just, I just don't see this defense losing to that offense at home. Uh, I'm going to say 22, 22 to 14. I think Michigan State covers again. I think it could even be a late score to win the game type thing. I just, I don't know. I, Michigan State is quietly looking like a decent football team again and much better than they did last year i think they give michigan all they can handle with an offense that's again i, I know i said o'corn's gonna have a highly positive game but 
they're still going to go through some struggles. They're still going to hit some bumps on the road in this game, I assume. So, uh, 22 to 14. Man, you guys have really so many scores to me. My bold prediction, we just kind of talked about how Michigan State's running backs have struggled. Michigan's running backs, I don't know if they've struggled, uh, but the run game in general has not looked like a, like it's going to beat a top 10 run defense like Michigan State has. So my bold prediction, uh, on air, I'll be bolder because I don't have to, Isaiah doesn't keep score of these ones, but I'll say uh, l- less than 75 yards so less than 150 yards total rushing between both teams i'll probably bump that up to 200 for the prediction that i write but i i just think it's i I think it was like 2015 it was like the same thing it was like neither team could move the ball rushing it was just i mean you know you know michigan state stack in the box and making o'corn do everything until he proves otherwise and uh you know michigan's got the number one run defense in the country so that's my bold prediction. Uh, I, I was originally gonna say I'll say I'll say Devin Bush. I don't think he gets kicked out. I think he has a really, really, really nice game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my my bold yeah that could be a bold prediction too. Devin Bush doesn't get kicked out, but I think he's gonna be able to really dominate. I know it's kind of like a lame pick because he's been the MVP of like three games already, but I think this game is is a good. Uh, test for him as far as becoming a leader and becoming, you know, a guy that that's not just, you know, good, you know, fast and strong and in the right place at the right time, but actually makes his own plays. Um, so he'll be my MVP, mostly because I didn't really think hardly or didn't hard, didn't think too hard about it. Uh, score prediction, I said 20 to 13 on the air today. I'll stick to that. I think it's going to be more of like one of those like, 17 to 7 or 17 to 6 kind of games or you know where it's you you assume Michigan's going to win uh and then you know but they just don't really put it away I think they kind of did something similar last year uh so that's my prediction and that's all of our predictions we all predicted Michigan winning by around a touchdown and scoring around 20 21 22 points uh so <laughs> real real great display under the lights this is going to be for for those of you that want high scoring you know fun offensive games but that's good defensive battle right i mean that's that's kind of what you're getting here i don't think either offense is in the top 50 and both defenses are in the top 10 so you can do the math on that one but that's going to do it for the wolverine 24 7 podcast for steve lorenz and isaiah hole on the phones i'm zach shaw be sure to read all of our stories we're gonna have a ton between now and and the weekend as well uh michigan.247sports.com great stuff there be sure to check it out hope you had fun on this podcast hope you learned something and we'll see you next time